entered into uh, chapter 8, as many of you are aware. And um, the low, if you will, the parentheses in the judgments of God have ceased. And now uh, the scene has changed. The seventh seal has now been opened, which opens, of course, the following seven trumpet judgments of God. And so that's where we've reached in our text this evening. I want to read together, if we can, Revelation chapter 8, verses 7 through 11. Um, this evening together. And again, these, as we say, every Lord's Day and uh, every Wednesday evening and every time we open our Bibles as we sit together in our private places, as we read God's Word alone, we realize and understand that these are the very words of God, the inspired, preserved words of God. This evening, as we read together verses 7 through 11 of Revelation chapter 8, the Bible says, the first angel sounded and there followed a hail and fire mingled with blood, and there were cast upon the earth, and they were cast upon the earth. And a third part of the trees was burnt up, and all of the green grass was burnt up. Verse 8, And the seventh, second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. Verse 9, And the third part of the creatures were that, that which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And verse 10, and the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And uh, it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountain, fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And uh, so again, as we look at chapter 8, the remainder of chapter 8, verses really 7 through 13, uh, the Spirit of God has John recorded the first four trumpet judgments, as we know. And we take note that the first four, which we're going to look at, fall upon creation. These first four are directly, uh, God sends them directly upon creation, with ramifications to man, but they are directly sent upon creation itself, with the third of the, you know, the last three falling upon man himself, which is really interesting as we're going to look at this um, part of this this evening. The first angel sounds, as John records for here for in our text, and immediately there follows hail and fire mingled with blood. And so immediately, as we're going to see in these judgments, as in chapter 6, that when the judgment is called for and is sent forth by God, immediately it falls. There's no hesitation in it whatsoever. Now, there are many, brethren, who insist... And again, I'm a literalist in the book of Revelation. If it, uh, I, I interpret things literally, unless this, the text context tells us differently. But there are many who insist on understanding, understanding the effects of the trumpet judgments as being symbolic rather than literal. And I'm telling you, if you go look, brethren, at, uh, at the many, how should we say, the many uh, things in men's minds concerning what the blood means and what the trumpet means and what this means and what that means, it gets scattered from one end to the other. And there's really nothing uh, static about it. Unless you observe this text and you consider this text as a literal a literal interpretation. That's the only way it makes sense. Otherwise, you can... You know, I mean, it's, it's stunning to see what men will call this and call that. And so we want to be safe and stay within the context of the text. And again, you interpret it literally unless it tells us otherwise, as we always say... 
But our religious affections are immediately drawn, brethren, to the similarities between the judgment found here, the physical judgments, the literal judgments that God did in fact pour out upon Egypt. We see them that they were literal. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Believe you me, when, when Israel left Egypt, they weren't wondering if God's judgments were little or whether they were, what, are these just things we're imagining or are they literal? They were literal judgments. And we see many similarities here in the book of Revelation between the judgments that God poured out upon Egypt and the ones we see here in Revelation. In the seventh plague, which God did indeed send upon the Egyptians, he indeed sent hail and fire mingled. You remember this, brethren. This is exactly what the Egyptians saw when God was drawing his people out of Egypt. And I want us to see that this evening together again. This is a literal thing that took place as God is again drawing his people out of bondage under, the, under Egypt. Look at Exodus chapter 9. Let's just look there together this evening as we again allow God's word to speak for itself. And uh, again, this literal, if you will, nobody's ever said that I know of. Uh, at least. Uh, maybe there's some extremists who said this wasn't literal. But somehow when we get into the book of Revelation, we start doing this, I don't know, there's this, I don't know what you want to call it, there's this special kind of, of uh, interpretation that is not found anywhere else in Scripture concerning these things. So look here at Exodus chapter 9. Look at verse number 22. Look what the Bible says there. And again, we believe this and we understand this, uh, that this took place. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, and that there may be hail in, in the land of Egypt, upon man and upon beast and upon every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward the heaven, and the Lord set thunder and hail, and fire ran along upon the ground. And the Lord uh, rained hail down upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in, the, in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. And so, again, we see in Scripture, brethren, on many occasions that hail and fire, amen, are, are uh, if you will, they coincide with God's judgments. He uses hail in the Old Testament. It's an amazing thing. In fact, uh, hail, again, is very much... Um, uh, you know, tied with the judgments of God. In fact, the Bible calls it God's treasury of hail, and he uses it specifically for judgment. It's an amazing thing when you understand that. And I want us to look at a couple of portions of Scripture tonight, again, as God draws from his treasury of hail to bring judgment upon those to whom he sends it. Now, this is important because you, brethren, remember, don't we, that one of the one of the, uh, the ramifications of idolatry, one of the ramifications of blasphemy was what in the Old Testament? What was it? It was death. It was a stoning. And so God, we're going to see here in the book of Revelation, again, that correlation, that connection, because those who dwell upon the earth are busy what blaspheming, and they're busy worshiping idolatry. They're worshiping the beast. And so we're going to see God as he brings this to pass. Look at Job chapter 38. Brother Dean mentioned it in his prayer uh, tonight. Look at Job chapter 38 with me, if you would. And again, this again is reserved. Hail is something that is reserved by God to call forth for judgment as he sees fit upon men. And look at uh, Job chapter 38. We'll read that together. Look at verses 22 and 23. 
The Bible saw, Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow, or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble? Amen. Again, he brings this against the day of battle and of war. And so God has, if you will, this hail. And he, you know, God had created it, he spoke it, he can use it as he sees fit. And so we see here again, as he brings this trumpet judgment upon the earth, he uses hail mingled with fire as a sign of his judgment. Look at one more. Look at Psalms, just a couple of them here. Look at Psalms 105, which again is a psalm reciting the Lord God taking Israel out of Egypt. And you see that on several occasions in the book of Psalms. They're singing about God's glorious victories, his glorious, glorious triumphs over his enemies and judgment that comes. Look at Psalms 105, again, a song of history of God doing what he did, which we just read in Exodus. But look here as the psalmist, David, recites it again. Look at verse number 32. He gave them hail for rain and flaming fire in their land. Amen. Again, judgment upon Egypt. He smote their vines also and their fig trees and break trees, break the trees of their coasts. And we notice again in our text this evening that uh, the green herbs and the, and the grass and all that's what burned up. It's going to be destroyed. And God uses these judgments, if you will, upon them. Now, we understand, as I said earlier, under the law of Moses, according to the law of Moses, the penalty for blasphemy and for idolatry was stoning to death. And I want us, I want us just again to look at a couple of texts. This is something, brethren, that, uh, <clears throat> you know, as a young child, this, this, this is the thing, is we consider the law of God. If we consider what God said in the Old Testament concerning these sorts of things. Howard and I, we were talking about this the other night, the other, you know, just the other night. There was a time when I was growing up, I was a lost man. I was as lost as they could be. But there was always kind of a reverence, if you will, for the man of God. Even if you didn't understand it right, there was kind of a reverence there. And there was a reverence I had for God, even as a lost man. There are certain things that uh, I would not do because God is God. Amen? And even under the law of Moses, I think if this was something that was still applied, if one knew that they were going to be killed, and even as a lost young child, I would have considered that and went, I'm not going to do that. Because this is the consequence and the ramification of that. And we see that here in Leviticus. We see what happens when one would dare to speak ill or blaspheme God himself. And the results of that, and I always tell people, right, people say, well, the death penalty doesn't work. No, but the assurance that it's going to happen does. <laughs> when you can tinkle-wink around for years and years and, you know, do this and say this and do that and your death penalty never happens, no one's afraid of it. But when you know it's going to happen, that is a beautiful and glorious Deterrent. We talk about practical application. We talk about practically living this stuff out. That's one that would have been very practical in my life. I would not have blasphemed God if my parents would have followed the biblical principle that you don't speak of God. In fact, my parents did it. So I did what they did. My parents probably wouldn't have done that if they would have known the assurity 
that the law of God was going to be brought upon you. Let's look at that, just a couple of portions of Scripture this evening. Look at Leviticus chapter 24. We remember this uh, glorious portion of Scripture very clearly. Leviticus chapter 24. Look there, if you would. Beginning in verse number 10. Leviticus chapter 24. Look at verse number 10 there. This again is the penalty for blaspheming God. And uh, it's interesting, verse number 10. The son of an Israelite, Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel. And this son of the Israelitish woman and the man of Israel strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. <laughs> Can you imagine that attention getter? Can you imagine when people heard that? Because it wasn't done. They didn't do it. And when they did it, it was a total attention getter. That's one of those things where, you know, the old, there was a hush. That young man just blasphemed the holy name of God. Look at there, if you will. And they brought him unto Moses. And his mother's name was Shilometh, the daughter of Debri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him inward, that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all, the all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the strangers, and as he that was born in the land. When he blasphemeth, the name of the Lord shall be put to death. So we see here again, one of the penalties when one would blaspheme God under the law of Moses, they were put to death immediately. A stunning thing. Now look here how idolatry as well is tied into that. Not only blasphemy, and, and we're going to get to this because in Revelation chapter 16, you will remember that God himself is inflicting his own law upon them who are blaspheming him and who are what? worshiping the image of the beast. So we have blasphemy and idolatry all in Revelation, throughout the book of Revelation, but 16 there, the Bible says they're blaspheming God, and what's he doing? He's hurling 80-pound hailstones, stoning them, bringing his judgment upon them for blasphemy and for idolatry, for worshiping the image of the beast. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 13. Blasphemy and idolatry were never a thing to be dribbled with, never to be trifled with, never to be messed with. And we see God again in the book of Revelation bringing <coughs> forth his judgment, beginning here with the hail, with the fire and the blood that's mingled. It's all pointing towards their end. And brethren, this is really important for us to understand that. Again, we'll get to the practical. I, I like that. The living this out. How does it practically apply to me today? And we'll see that. Look at verse number, chapter 13. Look at verse number 6. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or a friend, or thy friend, which is uh, 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 as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely, of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far, or far from thee, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth, Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shalt thine eye pity him, 
neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him. But thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be the first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear what and fear and shall do any more such thing. You see that, brethren? It's the assurance it's going to happen. It's the penalty that must come that stops the blasphemy, that stops the idolatry, that stops the turning away of someone from the God of the Bible. And all Israel shall hear and fear and shall do no more any such wickedness as this is among you. Now, brethren, as I said, during the tribulation period, during the time that we are now in, in our Bibles this evening, we know that the men who dwell on the earth are eagerly and consistently blaspheming God and willingly participating in idolatry as they worship the image of the beast. Now look at Revelation chapter 16 again. As God does indeed inflict his own law upon those who are doing these things, who paid the penalty of doing these things under the law of Moses. Look at Revelation chapter 16 again. This, as we know, brethren, as we see the intensity. Remember, we, we've talked about this. We talked about the first judgments were not as intense as these judgments that are in the trumpet. But the trumpet judgments are not as intense as those that are coming in the vials. There's an intensity that grows each and each time the judgment brings is brought forth. The intensity grows in it. Remember, it goes from a third to a half to all the people. By the time the vials are, are let loose, all the people are killed. It's a third of the earth, a third of the grass, a third of the trees. In the first, but it progresses, and by the end, as God brings to fulfillment that which He is bringing and doing, right as we speak in our text. It intensifies. We are now here in Revelation chapter 16. We're into the vials of God. And it went from a little hail being rained down to hailstones where he's bringing judgment upon them, the final judgment for their blaspheming and for their idolatry. Look there, if you would, at Revelation chapter 16. Look at verse number 9. And men were scored. This, of course, is the fourth vial again. We remember the vials and the trumpets and the bowls. They are very similar apart from, although the intensity, I said, as we go through the text, it gets more and more intense with greater, greater uh, consequences, if you will. Verse 9, and the men were scorched with great heat. And what? And they blasphemed the name of God. Look there a little farther. Look at verse 11. The fifth vial is perpetrated upon them. And the Bible says, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their paves and their sores and repented not of their deeds. So what are the men, what are the men of the earth doing? They're blaspheming God. Meanwhile, they have what? What do they have in their, in their hands and their foreheads? What have they purposefully and willfully done? They have purposefully and willfully worshiped and taken the beast as their leader. Idolatry. It's an amazing thing, brother. Again, I always say this. You're not going to worship the beast by mistake. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Just as you are loyal to Christ, those will who men who will purposefully and be loyal to the beast on purpose. The shot, the vaccine, is not, as I've said a thousand times, the mark of the beast. You will take the mark of the beast if you take it of your own will and knowingly. 
You will pledge your allegiance to him, just like one pledges their allegiance to Christ, as we see in the book of Revelation. But you see them blaspheming. Finally, brother, look there at verse 21. They're blaspheming God. They're shaking their fists at God. Look here at verse number 21. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. That's, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, is it 75 pounds? Is it 80 pounds? Is it 85 pounds? It's, brethren, <laughs> let me just tell you this. If it's 75 pounds and God is hailing it down out of the heavens, it isn't going to matter if it's 10 more pounds or 10 less pounds. Yeah. Drop one of them bad boys on your car and see what happens. Yeah. He is stoning them. For their blasphemy and for their idolatry, judgment in which he is bringing upon those upon the earth. <laughs> Look what it says there. And men blaspheme God because of it. We ask that, don't we? This really just brings out the depravity of man. When they know it's God, they know it's him blasting them with these hailstones and bringing judgment upon them. And what do they do? They gnash their teeth. They just continue and look what it says. The Bible says, And the men blasphemed God because the plague of the hail, for the plague there was exceeding great. This is what we see. We see men. And again, <laughs> brethren, election on every corner. I know that's a word some people are afraid of. I'm not afraid of it. I am not afraid of it at all. God elects men and women and children to salvation. He does. These men here are blaspheming him because they are not of God. They're not his sheep. Shall we say that? They're not his sheep. They're not lost sheep. They're not his sheep. They are goats. And they will always be goats. And they will blaspheme God to the bitter end. It's an amazing thing to behold. Now on the other hand, in our text this evening, the judgment, as I said, we also find that fire throughout Scripture, and as a general, if you will, rule, speaks of judgment. And it is here that the earth dwellers in our text, amen, get their first taste of God's judging fire as well. Not only the hail, but they're getting a taste of God's judging fire, an ominous precursor, brethren, to their end, which is quite amazing when you think about that. You see in the book of Revelation, fire and what it's connected to. You look at, it, well, we're going to look there in Matthew. Turn there if you would. Look what Jesus said concerning fire and judgment. Now, as Bible believers, we believe it. We said it this evening. Brother Dean said it. We should go and snatch, preach the gospel, and we should grab, as Spurgeon said, right? If they must go to hell, let them go to hell with us, grass about their knees, preaching the gospel and telling them of their sinful errors. Amen? This is what Jesus said. Look at here, if you would, in Matthew chapter 13. Again, this is a consistent thread throughout Scripture. Fire as a, an association with the judgment of God. Look at Matthew chapter 13 there with me, if you would. <clears throat> and we see here again, <clears throat> as we read these portions of Scripture, these portions of Scripture, brethren, can I say this, and, and, uh, and, and I'm just saying it from, a, from my own personal practical view, how God used it in my own heart, my own life. These verses send a chill down my spine. They really do. This is one of the purposes 
of God writing the book of Revelation, of God revealing to us what he's going to do in the book of Revelation, along with all the other things that God has written. One of the purposes and one of the practical things that it did in my own life is that it made me begin to fear God greatly. Greatly. I mean, I remember, I've told this a thousand times. I used to sit with my buddy Troy in ninth grade. I remember like it was yesterday. I could still smell his pool room downstairs. His dad's pool. We'd shoot pool down there. We'd sit around and, children, I, can I say this? We'd sit around and smoke Marlboro menthols. And I'd get the Bible out. His dad had, you know, like every other parent you hung around with, their dad had the big Bible on the, on the, on the, on the, on the end table, so we'd get it out. And I'd literally read Revelation, the book of Revelation, portions of it. And I would look at Troy and I'd say, did you hear what God said? Did you hear what that means? That's what this is designed to do. It is designed to grab our attention, to get a hold of our emotions, to get a hold of our religious affections, that we might fear God, that we might repent, that we might turn. That's one of the purposes of this. But look at what Jesus says here concerning fire. Verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sold them is the devil. The harvest is what? The end of what? It's the end of the world. The end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Remember? He's going to send out his angels. Reap the, the elect from the four corners of the earth. Verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it shall be in the end of this world. The Son of Man will send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and uh, them which do iniquity. And he shall cast them where? Into the furnace where? The furnace of what? The furnace of fire, he says there. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, Fire associated with God's judgment and coming upon those in the end of the world. This is really, again, this judgment that's being poured out. This trumpet judgment is indeed an ominous precursor to their end. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Again, let's just flip to the end. Fire, judgment, what does that mean to those to whom this is taking place to even now as we're reading in our text? Look at Revelation chapter 19. Again, brother, this should bring chills to us, should cool us down quite amazingly as we read these portions of Scripture. Look at Revelation 19, look at verse number 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Verse 20, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. There it is. There's the idolatry, the image worship of the beast. And then that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive where? Into what? Into the lake of fire. Again, bringing forth the judgment. This is the ultimate end of God's judgment upon them, is that they are going to be cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Look at verse chapter 20, just over just a little bit farther. Now this gets a little bit deeper. This is the last judgment, of course, what we would call the great white throne judgment taking place. But again, these are all lost people who are lost during the tribulation, 
who are going to ultimately end here, those who are outside of Christ. Look at verse number 13. Again, fire as being an ultimate judgment upon them. Look what he says. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, the death, and death and hell hath delivered up the dead which were in them. Now who's in hell? Only those who are unbelievers, those who are outside of Christ. That's what hell, the compartment of hell contains, those who rejected Christ. Up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into where? The lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Again, hail and fire mingled with blood. This is a judgment of God. This is a precursor to what's going to ultimately in the end where these earth dwellers, I guess we'll call them that, those who are dwelling upon the earth who reject Christ will end up. That's something our world needs to hear, brethren. Hell is very rarely spoken of. God's judgment is very rarely spoken of. In fact, man will do anything to keep the judgment of God out of their minds. Man, for the most part, does not want to hear about the judgment of God, does not want to hear about fire, does not want to hear about hell, does not want to hear about stoning. <laughs> not for a minute. But that's not what God brings to our attention. He brings these chilling verses to our religious affections to help us to understand. This judgment is indeed literal. It is God's judgment, just as it was in Egypt. All of the elements in Egypt are present here in our text. And God used every one of them to bring about judgment upon Egypt. And he will do the same here, even during the tribulation period. Look there now, Revelation chapter 8. Look at the second angel that sounds. Let's just take a look at that this evening. Is it 10 after already? We're not going to make it very far this evening. Look at verses 8 and 9 there, if you would, the second trumpet that sounds. <clears throat> the Bible says, And the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with <clears throat> fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. Verse 9, And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Again, we see there in verse 9 the effects of this literal judgment that now God has just called forth. It isn't something that's uh, spiritual or anything else. We actually see literal results. Ships are crushed. People who are in the sea are killed. I mean, it's an amazing thing. It's not some kind of a, uh, if we will, just some kind of a spiritual thing that we can spiritualize away. We see the real-time uh, uh, real effects of this second-sounding trumpet, if you will. Again, as the first trumpet sounded, so the second one, there's immediate judgment. There is no delay. God immediately brings forth judgment. In fact, it's an immediate judgment that falls upon, again, the creation. John literally says here in our text that this is a, a blazing mass as large as a mountain is cast into the sea, which I believe <laughs> happens to be amen, a meteor beckoned by God himself. I mean, we see these things all the time. <laughs> We see them all the time, don't we? We see, uh, you look up in the sky and you can see, you know, meteors streaking across the sky. You see falling stars streaking across the sky. We watch it all the time. And what do you see behind it? A trail of fire that's behind it, amen? Well, let me tell you, when God beckons this meteor from the heavens itself, and it enters on into the atmosphere, I can promise you, brethren, as it comes, it is going to be illuminated, it is going to be lit up like you've never seen before. And the Bible says that it's actually cast into the sea. So it comes zinging out of the atmosphere as God commands it to do. And it literally lands in the sea as he beckons it from the heavens. 
Because in verse 10, which I believe, again, this is a literal meteor. Because <clears throat> in verse 10, look what he does again. He calls the second object out of the heavens. And it look, if you look there, look what God beckons. And the third angel sounded, there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And so, again, we're seeing God beckoning those, if you will, celestial bodies, using them, commanding them as they come to bring forth this amazing judgment upon the waters of the earth. Now, when you think about this, brethren, he says that a third of the sea becomes blood when the blazing mass lands in it, bringing to our minds again... <laughs> The first plague which God brought upon Egypt, turning the water into blood. And again, brethren, there is an association here. No question. God has done it to bring forth judgment again. This is a judgment of God. He did it in Egypt. He's doing it here. He's bringing this thing forth, and he's turning the water into blood. <clears throat> again, the first plague that he brought upon Egypt. And I want us to take special note of the miracle. Again, this stuff is miraculous. This is not just some happenstance where, oh, a meteor falls out of the sky or a star fell out of the sky. No, this is a miracle of God, something that he calls forth. Again, he's sounding the trumpet. God is the one who's giving the angel permission to sound. And as he does that, this judgment then falls and God brings it forth. And I want you to notice in Egypt the precise detail of God's judgment there. And we'll see it here in the book of Revelation. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 7 again. As we again allow the Old Testament, God's holy word, to be the commentary for us this evening concerning this plague that God sent upon the nation of Egypt. And this, uh, as we know, is the first plague. There were some other things that were done, but they weren't judgments of God. This is the first <clears throat> judgment. He's simply interviewing Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's magicians are copying him. And uh, <clears throat> but when we get here, we see in verse number uh, well, verse number nineteen. Look at Revelation or Exodus chapter seven. Look at verse number nineteen again. This is just the inspired word. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, upon all their pools of water that they may become blood, that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Listen, you know what happens? <laughs> Listen, when you go down to the river, or down to your, you fill a picture of water out of your sink, it's not in the river anymore, it's not in the pipeline anymore, it's sitting in a pot. Look at what God did, look what it says here. Not only the rivers, but look at what it says. Even the water that was seated in their what? In their vessels of wood and vessels of stone. The water that had already been plucked out of the river turned to blood, brother. It's an amazing thing when you think about that. It's, it's a stunning thing to consider that again. As God brings forth his glorious working, his glorious judgments upon them. Look there at verse 21. And the fish that was in the river died and the river stank. <laughs> and the Egyptians could not drink the water of, of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So again, we see this correlation because what happens is after the meteor falls, which I believe it is, into the water, and the water becomes blood and poisons it, what does it say? A third of the fish what die. 
I mean, it's, it's an amazing correlation between the two, again, bringing forth God's judgment. And there's many times in the book of Revelation, we don't have time tonight, in fact, I'm going to have to kind of stop right here, I think. But there's many times in the book of Revelation, in fact, God's witnesses, what do God's two witnesses do? Let's just look at that, and we'll close with that tonight again. Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 16, again, the water turns into blood, except, as we have seen, again, it is a progression of it. It's a same picture of it, but it's a progression of it. And we see here again in Revelation chapter 11, let's just look there again. God's witnesses, just as God's witnesses did in Egypt, Aaron turned the water into blood. Look here, Revelation chapter 11. Again, a picture of God's judgment upon them. Look at verse, uh, Revelation chapter 11. Look at verse number 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man hurt them, he must... Uh, in his uh, manner be killed, in this manner be killed. Look at verse 6. These have power to shut up heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over the waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And so again, brother, we see throughout the book of Revelation, and as God brought his people out of Egypt, bringing judgment upon the non-believers, this is what we're seeing. Those who are outside of Christ, those who reject Christ, in fact, we will see this, Lord willing, next week as we go along in the text that the waters of Mara, you remember, as we get to the next, next judgment, the, worm, uh, the wormwood, which is an interesting term in the scriptures, found only once in the New Testament. But believe me, brethren, the Jewish people knew what wormwood was. And we're going to learn, Lord willing, next week what that is. One time in the, Old, in the New Testament, eight times in the Old Testament, and the Jewish brethren who hear this terminology used will know exactly what God is doing. Because wormwood is tied again in the Old Testament to God's judgment, tied to poisoning the waters. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And in the end, what you see is these men who are rejecting Christ, Moses, as he threw the tree, remember, in the bitter waters of Marah, they were made sweet, a picture of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. All of these men are blasphemers. All of them are rejecting that, which then, in the end, brings forth the fire, the judgment of God as they're cast into the lake of fire. It is an amazing correlation, an amazing thing, as we look at this, um, how God, again, as I say, every week, every day, as I sit and study the Word of God alone, as I read it to my children, Every my wife, every day when we do that, we just consider the gloriousness of his word, the gloriousness of what it means, the power of it, and the impact, brother, that it should have on us practically daily as we walk. Again, these judgments of God, as I read them again, even as a lost man, are designed to grab one's affections, designed to make one consider it also, brother, bolsters us, doesn't it? It allows us and bolsters us to do what we're going to do on Saturday, what we're going to do on Sunday, Lord willing, what we're going to continue to do throughout the summer, and that is to preach to the lost the judgment of God that's coming. 
Because as sure as I'm standing here now, it's going to come. He promised it. He said it will. And brethren, it will. And we see that again in the book of Revelation. This is one of the, one of the main purposes, as I've said, of the book. Is to draw our religious affections to the realities and the truth. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we, I don't know if we forget so much, but sometimes the severity of what God has saved us from, we lose that. This brings it back to what God actually did. Amen? Think of that for a moment. It keeps our love as we talk about burning hot. For him, for the Lord God, and for the preaching of the gospel to the lost. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we know that the Bible is central to everything. It's central to the past. It's central to the present. And yes, the future revolves around the Word of God. Genesis, the beginning of things. Revelation, the end of things. Father, you are working that out gloriously. And we see, even in our text tonight, men scoff, men laugh at you, men blaspheme you. But they won't forever. If they die and split hell wide open, they are, even now, as I, I think I said to Brother Howard the other night, Dr. Gosnell and all the rest of them evil baby killers will be screaming from the pit of hell as we're preaching on Sunday and Saturday. They will be screaming that we may go and tell them. They're friends. That they might come, not come to hell as they are now. Father, we, we think of them, Margaret saying, all of them, evil, evil Jezebel. We're in hell right now, suffering the judgment of God and will for eternity, even as their end has been determined and as the book of Revelation shows to us that hell will indeed be cast into the lake of fire. So, Father, we pray as we leave this place this evening, as we prepare for our walk tomorrow amongst the lost, as we prepare for Saturday morning, Lord willing, and Sunday, Lord willing, right around 11.30, between 11.30 and noon, we will gather together, and there will be a real presence of evil. There is. There is. And that is one of Satan's staples, killing children, slaughtering children. That's one of the things he loves most to do. So, Father, we will be there, Lord willing, the children of God, if you will, meeting and confronting the children of the devil himself. Father, we pray for wisdom. We pray for strength and power. We pray our feet are shod with the readiness and the preparation of the gospel. We pray that we'll have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness strapped on. And the sword of God in our hands. The spirit of truth. 
Father, we thank you now and pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people.